1, uh, verse 21 uh, through 23, and we have one more sermon in chapter 1. You're, like, you're never going to get through chapter 1, but we're just kind of working through this verse by verse and, and just praying that God would speak into our hearts about his uh, word. So last week we looked at who do you say that Jesus is? That's the most important thing about you. I've heard that be said before. Jesus asked Peter, like, who do you say that I am? Like, what, what do other people say that I am? But who do you say that I am? The most important thing about you. But this week I asked the question is, who does Jesus say? What does he say about you? Who does he say that you are? Isn't that important as well? The question about who do you say Jesus is is the most important thing about you. But it's also really important to say, well, who does Jesus say that you are? You ever ask that question and think about that in your own life? And so we're going to be breaking that down today in this second section. The first one we looked at, who is Jesus? And now it's looking at, because of who Jesus is, what, is that, what does that mean about you? What does that mean to you? So I want to ask this question. We've got the teenage boys about to fall asleep in the back here. Maybe this will wake you up a little bit. What does Area 51, Roswell, New Mexico, and the pyramids all have in common? Well, heard something. Aliens. No, it's a desert. No, I'm just kidding. No, it is the aliens. It is the aliens. I was at the pyramids. I'm like, well, I guess I could kind of see Somebody would think maybe the aliens built this. I don't know how they built these structures here. It was really quite impressive. I tried to climb up the pyramids, and I got yelled at. I got about a third of the way up and forcibly told to get down. And so maybe there are some aliens hidden in there that they want me to see. I don't really, I don't really know. So here, show of hands, who believes that aliens exist? It's okay. You can be honest. Got some people. Got some people. Got some, some people. All right, aliens do. You think the aliens do exist. And I wouldn't be surprised if the government was hiding from us that aliens exist. I mean, we, we can't even handle the cardinals having a bad season, much less telling us that the aliens exist. Like, oh, I can't even handle a bad season. Pray for the cardinals. We pray that they start having a better season. Now, biblically, this is my argument. Like, we don't scream where the Bible is silent. But this is my argument against there not being aliens. It's Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Earth is singular. Heavens is plural. That means like our sky, our atmosphere, the solar system, heaven. He could have said heavens and earths or heaven and earths. So anyway, that's just my, that's just my view. We don't scream where the Bible is silence. It's my argument. Not a very good argument, I guess. Some people are like, I'm still not convinced. But all right, so anyway, aliens. The definition of alien is that you belong or relate to another person, a place, or a thing that you are a stranger. Like if an alien showed up here, you wouldn't know anything about them. They are a stranger. They belong somewhere else, some other solar system, some other planet. We don't know anything to them. Their allegiance is to some other planet or government or whatever it may be. We, talk, we hear a lot about illegal aliens. They, they belong to another government, another country or something. They're, they're strange or foreign to our country. We used, we've heard that term before, but that's what alien means. 
here in Colossians, we see that a lot of people are alienated from God, and most people don't even know it. See, see where I'm going? Sermon illustrations are running a little low lately. People are alienated. They're strange. They're unknown to God. Their allegiance is to someone else. We're going to see that here in just a minute. But first, I want to kind of go back to last week. We looked at the New City Catechism. We looked at the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed. We looked at the Baptist Faith and Message 2000. We looked at all these things, and we looked at the Scripture to say, what, who is Jesus? That he is God. He, God exists as three persons, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, there's going to be a quiz at the end of the service today about all of those creeds and catechisms and things. So, hope you took notes. Pop quiz. But we looked at that specifically about who Jesus is and looked at the Bible to say who Jesus is. Like he was, in the, he was in the beginning with God the Father. He created everything. He sustains everything. And I don't, hopefully the person that's not here today, but there wasn't a name on the card. I had you fill out the card and then redefine, redefine who Jesus is at the end. And somebody left their card out when I was in the church and so I thought, I, I looked at it, and I read it, and it doesn't have a name on it or anything, so if this is you, you don't have to confess to it. But I thought it was really, really good. It, like, made my day. I'm like, I need to frame this and put this up. But here is the, someone's definition of who Jesus is that they wrote out at the end of the service. It says, he is my everything. Don't you like that? My daily go-to my comfort and my hope. He is my leader, savior. His blood saved me. His forgiveness is forever. He is head of the church. And in him, everything is. He created it all. Isn't that good? That was really good. I don't know who wrote that, but I'm really impressed. It gets you up here to preach or something. But it was really, really, really good. That was, again, out of Colossians 1, 15 through 20. Today we're looking at who does Jesus say that you are as a believer. This is specifically that Paul and Timothy, they say, wrote this out. He was kind of taking Paul's notes, but he wrote that. But this is specifically to the church at Colossae, to the believers. And so this, was, this is written to believers in, that are in the church. And so I want you to listen for that. As I read through Colossians 1, 21 through 23, and I want you to pick up on who, if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus, who Jesus says you are. So verse 21. And you, who once were, there, there that word is, alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds... He has now, Jesus, has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a 
minister. And I want to touch on that last word, minister. It really has original meaning of like a waiter or waitress. It's a servant of all, right? Like that's my position. That's we as Christians, as ambassadors of Christ, like our position is servant of all, the, the lowest of the low as representation of Christ. So as we look through these verses about who Jesus says that you are in him, I want us to focus our eyes on Christ and our hearts on Christ as we prepare later in the service to take the Lord's Supper. And, and I want you to be reminded of, of who you are in Christ. And I want you to take that with you, and I want you to treasure that in your heart. And it's important for us to remind each and every one of us of that. So there's two main things about Jesus so that we see here. One is who he is, that he is God, that he created everything, he sustains everything, and that's important. I asked the sheetrock guy, we had finished the had a guy come in and finish the wall in the kid's space. You should go back and, and check it out. He kind of finished this wall over here and worked in the kid's space to fix our sheetrock. Um, but he was a Hispanic guy, and I asked him. He had a cross, and I said, oh, are you a follower and believer of Jesus? He said, oh, yes, I really am. And he said, but Jesus, as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, like Jesus is God, and I believe in one God, Father. He had to clarify that to me. I thought that was so insightful for him and important to him to clarify that Jesus is God. And I said, man, you, you got it. You really understand. So two main things about Jesus. One, that he is creator and he is God. And the second thing is his works. His works. Why he came to earth and what he did for us is important. And as I'm looking through this scripture, there were five things that stood out to me about who you are, who I am in Christ. Here in the very beginning, in verse 21, it says that before you put your faith and trust in Jesus, that you were alienated. You were like an alien to God. Once alienated from God, verse 21, you're an alien, you are a stranger, you belong to someone else. Your allegiance was to someone else. Because of the sin passed down from Adam, that separates us from God. We're separated. We're alienated. Our allegiance belongs to this world. Your allegiance belongs to yourself. Your allegiance belongs to Satan. That's who you are in your sin, that you're separated. You're alienated. Your relationship is broken. Your, your allegiance is to someone else. And I always say keep reading in the Bible because you'll get to the good news. You'll get to the gospel. Because here I want you to see in verse 22 who it says that you are now because of your faith in Christ and the works that he has done and who he is, who you are now in Christ. In verse 22, says the Bible reads this way. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. You see, reconciliation is the answer to, to your alienation. You being alienated from God. That Jesus come, he died on the cross, his blood covers you so that you can be reconciled to God. This 
reconciliation is like a feeling. How does God feel about you? Now that you've been reconciled to him, your relationship has been restored because of Christ, now he knows you. Now he loves you. Now you're no longer a stranger to him. Now you're no longer an enemy to him. Now you're a child of the one true God. Our human need and our need for salvation, there there are two ways to look at this. One is God is a judge. God is a judge. And without Christ, we're found guilty. But because of Christ and the work that he has done, he's atoned for our sins. He's paid our penalty that God now is a judge. He sees us as innocent. Our debts have been paid in full. But we also see that Jesus is our friend. We see that once we become reconciled, we become a friend of God. That there was something wrong with the relationship that we have. And when we're reconciled, that relationship is restored. There's two ways of looking at salvation. There's going to be judgment over our lives, and that relationship with God is restored. And both ways are accurate ways of looking at things. The person of Jesus, our friend, and the works of Jesus that he paid the penalty for our sins. Those two things are important. Who Jesus is and what he did for us. The work, his works is really important. And both of those things reconcile us to a holy God. Here we see that the Bible says that Jesus presents to us, to God, to you and me, as holy, holy and blameless. And next time that your spouse is upset with you, just say, hey, I'm holy. Want to practice it now? You, hey, I'm, ho- I'm holy. I guess I I don't know if that would go over very well. That's what the Bible says we are because of in Christ that Jesus presents, to, uh, presents us to the Father as holy, holy and blameless. Isn't that amazing? That's a, that should be like shouting for joy that God, because of Jesus' work, nothing that we've done, that God would present, Jesus would present us to the Father, the judge, perfect judge as holy and blameless. Because of the works of Christ, right? And because of the works of Christ only. This word holy in verse 22, it means that we are pure, that we are clean, that we are morally perfect. It's like Levitical law where the priest looks over the lamb. There's no spots, there's no blemishes. This lamb is holy, it's perfect, it's blameless, it's spotless. It's going to be the perfect sacrifice. As though Christ was the perfect lamb, he was the lamb of God, that he was perfect. He was the perfect sacrifice because we're in Christ. Now we're presented also to to God as holy and perfect and blameless and spotless. That's the gospel, ladies and gentlemen. The works of Christ and what he did for us. That's something we have to remind ourselves daily We have to come together weekly to remind ourselves about what Christ did for us. Just because, as Paul is is speaking against the the Gnostics at the time, they were coming in and creeping in all these things about who Christ is not. We have to defend the gospel of Jesus. She may ask the question, well, do do I really need to be holy 
to be saved. I really need to be holy to stand in front of a holy God. And Hebrews 12, 14 says this, Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So is holiness important? Hebrews 12 says, without it you won't see the Lord. God is holy. He can't be around sin. He can't be around anything that has any blemishes, any imperfections. And the only way to be holy, to stand in front of God, is in Christ. It's the only way. Holy means set apart. Set apart today as we are in Christ. We are holy. We are set apart for today, for this world, for the mission that God has for us. And we have a purpose, a calling in our lives. We set aside the old, alienated person, and now we take on the commission that God has given us to go and make disciples and baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that Christ has commanded us to do. God promises that he'll be with us forever. Verse 23, there is a challenge to the church. And I want to read it. It says, if needed, you continue in faith. If indeed, you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. Not shifting from the gospel that you have heard. Is it important to come together and to remind ourselves of who Jesus is and what the gospel is, to stay steadfast in faith and following Jesus? And what that really looks like in your life is just staying connected. Like, he's the branch, you're the vine, right? What that looks like is you staying connected Whatever you can do is whether it's go to church, it's read your Bible, it's pray, not out of obligation, not out of the law, not out of making God happy at you, but doing those things because you love Jesus. Like he came, he died, you were friends, you were adopted son and daughter, like you love Jesus, you're happy for what he did for you and you want to know him more, you want to spend time with him. Not out of obligation, not out of works, but because you love Jesus. You spend time with him. That's what it means to stay steadfast in the faith. Keep your faith in Jesus alone, not your works, not your ability, not how good of a person you are, not how many times you go to church, not how many times you read the Bible or pray. But if you stay focused on Jesus and what he did for you, the works that he did and who he is, that the Bible promises that he will, he will grow you to be more like Jesus, that he will work within you to become more like Jesus. And that way Jesus, God gets the glory, right? And not you, not me. It's the way God works. But he says, stay in the faith, stay steadfast, and continue. Don't just become a believer and just walk away from God. Stay in the faith. God has so much for you. He, he, he has a life and a purpose for you that will bring you so much joy when you find it. So much joy. Verse 22 says, presents you blameless, and that's back to the Levitical law of the lamb was spotless and innocent, no blemish. Verse 23 talks about hope. Hope. Now, I'm going, Man and I are going camping, so the kids are going to camp. We're going tent camping 
on the river in southern Missouri for five days. I've got a lot of hope in this trip that's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to enjoy it. But I also know from the past, like, we've been camping there before, and I forgot to close the back window of my truck, and the raccoons got in and destroyed my truck. It was not a good experience. It was bad. I've also had camping experience there where it's hot, and the man is like, I don't care what you do. We're going to the hotel. Like, I can't take this. So there's a lot of hope built into this camping trip. But in the back of my mind, I'm like, ah, I hope this goes well. I might be back, like, on Tuesday, back in the air conditioning. I don't know. But the Bible talks about hope. And that's a lot, like, a, a lot that I talk about and think about as a pastor and just as a Christian, the hope that I have. Because there's a lot of people in this world that don't have any hope. They have hope. They put their hope in something, their career, their 401K, whatever it may be that they put their hope in, their strength, their looks, whatever it may be, and that's fleeting. And, and they lose that, and they lose that hope that they have, and they're like, well, what else can I put my hope in? This world just continues to fail me, and they look for the next thing. It could lead to drinking, drugs. It could do all types of things because you're trying to find something in this life outside of Christ. And I don't remember who that it was. It may have been Mark Twain or something. But he said it this way. He said, you can go, what, five, eight minutes without breathing, something like that. I wouldn't want to try. I try to hold my breath sometimes. It's like I get kind of anxious within like 30 seconds. Um, I can't even like put a blanket over my head. I get so freaked out. But like f- five minutes, let's say. How long can you go without eating? I don't know. A couple, three weeks, four, eight weeks, five. I don't know. Long time. Water, three days. Three days. I said, you can't go one second without hope. Without hope. In the Bible here, Paul is saying this is important for us as Christians to know the, the hope that we have. And it's something I take for granted sometimes is I forget the eternal hope that I have. In verse 23, I'm going to read that to you. It says, If indeed you continue the faith stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of what? What does it say? Hope in what? What's the hope? What's our hope in? The gospel of Jesus, right? The, the person who, who, who Christ is, the works that he has done for us, the, the but in the Bible. We're sinners, but thanks to be God for Jesus. That's the gospel. The hope in the gospel of Jesus that what he did for us is good enough. Our faith in Christ is good enough. And there, this hope is this expectation or this confidence of how good Jesus really is. Do you believe that today? Is your hope, expectation of today and eternal life, is it in how good Jesus is? If he was good enough to come and to die on the cross for his blood to cover your sin, to take on the full wrath of God, to take on the the punishment that we deserve, to die, to be buried again, to show you that he loves you, wouldn't he then be preparing a place for eternity for you like he said that he was? That's, that's the hope that we have. That's the eternal hope that we have. That there is a life after this that's better. A life of eternally 
being with our heavenly Father, Jesus, who loves us. Not this broken world that we live in. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. Everything will be restored back like it was in the garden. Everything will be perfect. There will be complete justice. Everything will be made right. There will be no more tears, no more struggles, no more dying bodies, no more physical ailments, no more heartache, no more wrongs. It will be with the lover of our souls who created us, who holds everything together, who has existed forever and will exist forever. That's the hope that I have. It's not in this world. For this country to be turned around and this world to be turned around, my hope is not in any politician. My hope is not in myself. It's not in anyone else. My hope is in Christ. He's the only one that can do it. He's the only one that can save me. He's the only one that can save you. It's in Christ alone. That's what the Bible points to. Everything points to Christ. That's why we try to stay focused on the gospel. Try to stay focused on Christ. Because that's the only thing that matters. And I pray that you see how it all gets turned back to Christ. We, we are not saved by our intellectual knowledge. Knowledge and learning is important. Learning the Bible is important. But Satan knows more about the Bible than you and I could ever imagine. It's not what saves us. Only Christ who saves us. That he's God and what he did for us. That's what saves us. Not our works. Not how good of a person that we are. Does not save us. We are saved by the person and the works of Jesus Christ alone. Through that, we have reconciliation. We are reconciled. So I'm going to do a little um, exercise real quick. And then we will um, begin our process, the Lord's Supper. So what I want you to do is think about this. And when I say neighbor, that doesn't mean someone you're related to that would know the answer to this. I don't know if the the teenage teens would know answer, but not someone you're related to. And you don't have to actually do it if you're like introverted and don't want to do this. It's fine. So without saying a word, without using sign language, without texting someone, um, without having somebody else tell someone, try to tell the person around you that you don't know your middle name. No sign language, no speaking, no, no texting, no telling somebody else. You guys? Do you guys know? you guys know each other's middle name? Well, can you, can you help them out? Yeah? Anybody? Anybody have any luck? Let's relate. You're related. Related. So what I, what, I want you to, what I want you to see in this, the, the Bible is clear that people will not know, people cannot know, they will not know, I'll say they can't, 
They won't know the gospel, who Jesus is and what he has done. There's no way for people to know outside of somebody telling them. How people are saved is a mystery. I've met people from the Middle East that say, there wasn't anyone in my whole neighborhood that knew anything about Jesus. And I kept waking up at 316, 316, 316, 316, and went to the, went to the library and typed in 316 and read about Jesus. And then Jesus appeared to me and told me he was real, and I became a believer. I mean, that's, that's this guy's testimony. It was sitting on me in an airplane. He was like a, a, a really well-known soccer coach in Memphis. Like, this guy wasn't just some crazy dude. I'm like, wow, like God can do anything. But he still read the gospel. He still heard the gospel, right? There was this part, I was like, how will they know if they're not told? How will they know if God in himself tells them or they read it or somebody tells them about the gospel of Jesus? And this what we're reading here. And you have that good news with, with, from within you. You don't have to be weird, like knock on people's door, you know. I'm just saying, like, it's just who you are. It's just what saves me. I love Jesus. So I want you to encourage you in that. And that is this. It says, if you believe in your heart, or, or you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the grave three days later, that you're saved. That, you, that you're saved. For the wages of sin, what we have earned, Romans 6.23, from what we have learned, from what we have earned, our wages of sin, we have earned death. We are alienated. But, as the Bible says in Romans 6.23, says, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. There's that but, the gospel. There is the gospel. That is the good news. But the free gift. We haven't earned it. We couldn't earn it. There's nothing we could do. God gives it to us freely. The free gift of eternal life. The hope that we have is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And God gives it to us freely because he loves us. For God so loved the world. God, for God so loved you that he would send his son Jesus to die for you. That is the gospel. That is what we celebrate. That is what we rejoice in. That is why we're reconciled to a God who loves us because of the works of Christ and who he is. Spotless, blameless sacrifice for you and for me. That's the, the God that we serve. If you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, I would just say during this time to just ask God, Lord, during this time of communion, Lord, is there something you want me to do? Is there something that is a sin in my life, right? Because again, we, we, we want to stay with Christ and as he, as he teaches us and, and reveals to us, like our Heavenly Father that loves us, he reveals things in our heart, the sin that we need to confess. We can take that straight to God. Bring it straight to Him and confess it. And He is just and fast to forgive us of our sin and our unrighteousness. He will forgive you because of Jesus. So we're going to take this time
I'm going to pray in a minute, but you just reach out to the Lord. Lord, do I, do I need to confess my faith to your son Jesus? Do I need to change allegiance, right, from this world to, to Christ? Is there sin in my life that I need to confess to you? Lord, what do you want to reveal to my heart? So I'm going to pray, and then uh, if, you, if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus, you feel free to come and get communion. If you are still struggling with that, I would just ask that you would not partake of this. The Bible is clear, and we should take this seriously. Um, but we're doing this in remembrance of Christ and who he is, as we just read. Um, so I'm going to pray. Um, Doug's going to come up, and we're going to, you're going to receive the elements. You're going to come back to your seat. We're going to have a video, and then we'll take the elements together. Sound good? All right, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I, I know that this world that we live in, where people are alienated from you, Lord, I know that the enemy does not want people to hear and to understand who your son Jesus is. So, Lord, I pray as we are looking at these verses that we are either coming to understand or we are reminded of who your son Jesus truly is. That we are reminded of this free gift that we have received, that we have been reconciled, that you now call us friend, you now call us sons and daughters, that we are, we are holy in your sight because of Jesus, we are spotless and blameless because of your son Jesus, that you present us to your Father as holy. You would, you would not, Lord, take me and present me in front of the Father if I was not because you love me, I know that. So, Lord, we thank you for the work that, you, that your son Jesus did for us on the cross. We thank you that you sent him to die for us. We thank you that we have this hope of eternal life to spend with you, spend eternity with you. And be reminded that anything outside of the works of Jesus, they burn up in front of you. They don't last. Lord, I pray today that we are laying down everything that we are doing to try to please you, to try to be a good person, because the only way to do that is through your son, Jesus. So, Lord, I pray that you are speaking to our hearts now. You are preparing our hearts to remember your son, Jesus. That, Lord, that those that are around us, that we that they see Christ in us and they see that something is different, that we have a hope that they don't have, that we have a purpose and a calling that they don't have, that we have eternity set in our hearts that they don't have. And Lord, I pray that those conversations happen, that they're curious, and Lord, that you are working in their hearts. I pray, Lord, they hear the gospel, the good news of your son, Jesus. And all God's people said.